Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to The Driven Entrepreneur. It's Matt Browning. And another day, another purpose that you're pushing through in your life as an entrepreneur. And I realize every single week, the struggle's real and the victories are even sweeter. But one of the questions I get a lot and one of the things that our community is really diving into more and more is this question about the intersection of art and business, of creation and sales, right? Of authentic, authentically being you and creating what you want, but then having to work in the market and the demographic and selling to the people. And can you do both? Well, I'm on a kick right now. We had, you know, last week we had an amazing, powerful fashion designer on. This week we have a world-class artist who not only is a phenomenal artist, not only is a military veteran of the United States Air Force, but is also an incredible marketer, sales trainer, and does it all. He teaches artists the art of selling art, as well as, of course, creating all of his own beautiful art, and he gets it as prolific out in the world. I'm talking about none other than Jason Matias. He is, well, he's in the greater Seattle area, and he's joining us. You're a New York native. You're doing photographs. He's doing it all, and I cannot wait to jump into this conversation. Jason, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? I'm doing awesome, especially after that introduction. I, I want to record that and listen to it every morning. Oh my, <laughs> I'll be your daily meditation, man. Uh, even though I stumbled through it, you know, I often think how cool would it be whenever I go on a radio show, if, if I could just have a little person announcing before I walk into every room, right? Yeah. And with us today at the five-year-old birthday party is none other than best-selling author. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are those, um, market jesters or? Oh yeah. Yeah. A little, yeah. little court jester. Course, yes, that's it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, hey, man, um, I, I want to, you know, jump in with you. So I don't often meet or have on the show someone who is a military veteran and an artist. In my mind, I know this is not accurate, but in my mind, someone who's been through the military, they all are like, you know, a certain type of mindset. Does that make sense? And I know that's not accurate. Can you kind of walk me through, you spent six years in the Air Force. What was that like? with your personality? Was that easy? Were there any challenges because of kind of the way your mind works and the creative side of you? Tell me about that a little bit. Uh, so I think a lot of what my time in the military, I felt very underutilized and I'd never really connected it to me being a creative. I just connected it to me being way smarter than the job they put me in. But uh, <laughs> that, that is the, uh, that is the thing. I love my ammo family. Like they, they're integral to the person that I am today. I was an ammo troop in the Air Force, so I used to build and maintain bombs and missiles. And uh, I was a black sheep growing up. So being a black sheep in the military worked. The, our whole crew were black sheeps. We, li we did all our work in one obscure corner of the base. No one could visit us behind fences and not even the commander. So we had our own little subculture. And I think that... So you were like in a high, high level security area because of what you were working on, something like that? Or you were just off in the corner yeah. because that's where they put you? We're off in the corner because if we do something wrong, then there's a lot of people oh. that hurt, right? Because it's bombs and missiles, right? Large consequence. Yeah. Wow. Um, and for security because, you know, they're bombs and missiles. And you don't want people just walking out with them, right? Uh, 
So, but but I did feel underutilized, and that's the reason I left. Uh, I real I thought that my career was on railroad tracks, and railroad tracks go only where they're supposed to go. So I knew exactly where I was going to go, and I didn't really like where that was headed. So a big reason for me getting out was was that, and it's sort of contradictory to who I thought I was going to be growing up, because I thought I was I always knew I was going to join the military. Uh, I always why I, I'm a sixth generation first son, and every first son in my family joins the military. Wow. So my grandfather was a, I think, like a like an equivalent rank of a colonel in the Philippine army. My father was also a prior enlisted artillery captain, and then uh, and then it was me. And my sister ended up joining too. So no one ever told us we had to, but that was always the thing that was going to happen. And I thought I was going to be an Air Force pilot. I thought I was going to be enlisted, join the military, get my commission, become a pilot. You know, fly really fast. I got in trouble, so that didn't happen. <laughs> but. Uh, so you got relegated after a little bit of trouble. The Air Force is pretty strict. It's just a strict environment. So I would imagine. I got in trouble for underage drinking, which dumbass thing. It was three in the morning. I was playing pool in the basement by myself because I was on night shift. So the whole reason I even got noticed, and this is a huge tangent, uh, is just that I was doing everything I do to be commissioned, getting all, marking all the check boxes. So I was like, on, the reason I was noticed is because I was captain of the honor guard as an underage guy. So when the official saw me drinking, he's like, oh, I know who you are. And I know you're 19. Anyway, I almost got kicked out for that, uh, wow. which is a silly, a silly thing. But they pulled my application to the academy and, uh, and, and, I, and that was where I was. And that, that began changing everything. So that's that interesting. Was a big so, so, so you yeah. feel like you're underutilized. And I, I like your analogy of railroad tracks. When you were growing up, even with that whole first son, six generations, military family, did you always feel a bit of that? I guess when I think of a creative, and I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to pigeonhole you even as a creative, but when I think about a creative, I think about someone who's going to go in infinite directions in their mind, in their abilities, and in, in maybe even desires, um, and you could pivot and change around. Definitely not the nine to five cubicle type of mentality, right? A lot of us entrepreneurs are certainly that way. Were you always like that growing up? Was did your was your family like that? Were you the only one? Tell me a little bit about the dynamic of kind of growing up in the in the family as an artist. Because uh, my father was like that, and I think that's why he and my mother ended up separating. She was very much not like and couldn't handle the risk of that type of lifestyle. Because um, like my father left a multi like six figure job so that he could do something that he just wanted to do, right? Um, as a marine biologist and as a scientist. So the, the mentality was very separate. So I would live with my mom growing up and somewhere around seventh grade, I remember uh, I was being told pretty often that I couldn't be an artist. Like I was spending too much time drawing black and whites and charcoal and, and I needed to focus on school because that's where the future lies, right? And then you keep being told that and, and you start believing it. And then I remember there's just one turning point for me where I put all this stuff away. Like I, I was in art class, whatever that is in, in high school or junior high. And the teacher came by and drew a big ass dark line, like this piece of art behind me, which is one big dark smudge across one of my, my portraits because the dark, the shadows weren't dark enough. She's like, everything needs to be this dark. And in my opinion, she ruined it, she ruined it. And at this, that point I was just like, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse, but you know, screw it. Family and, friendly, and, but yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, screw this. I'm just gonna do what I'm supposed to do. And and even though I was really into the drawing and, and the portraits and, and whatnot, I I always still knew that I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to fly, and to me, flying would have been a creative thing anyway. So 
it, it was pretty easy for me to put that stuff away. So I didn't come back into art until I was like 19. I was in the, I was in the Air Force stationed in North Pole, Alaska. And that's when I started um, expressing myself with a, with a tool again. And in this case, it was a camera. Wow. Yeah. And did you make the connection immediately? Because I, I love this when, you know, there's so many different ways to do art. And it's not just photography, drawing, painting, sculpting. It's like, you know, you can look at technology. I think a lot of coders see themselves as artists, and they certainly are. Um, entrepreneurs can fall in that category. Chefs, right? Did you make the connection right away of like, you know what? I want to get back to being an artist and I'm going to try this new avenue or did it feel very separate at first and it wasn't until later you put you connected the dots? It was really separate. The, me picking up a camera was two, full, two reasons, right? One was nobody would believe the stories I had because I was, I was a very different person than the rest of my ammo troop brothers and sisters. So when they went to the drink in the, in the afternoon on a, on, or, or on a weekend, I went hiking. Okay. And it was out there by myself in the wilderness in Alaska. So I'd come back with stories and nobody would believe me. And the other half of that was I wanted to um, share some stuff with my family at home and try to stay connected because I was just, you know, I was a, a kid on my own for the first time. And with that, that, that's kind of bewildering to, bewildering to me now because I would, I don't feel that attached to anyone like that anymore. But I wanted to, I started a blog and was sending pictures home because I was in, as, as an airman, so far away, I just couldn't afford to fly. I didn't make enough money to fly home. So that's, that's how I got back into the thing. But my brain works in silos. So I can only do one thing at a time. And being in the military and being an artist, those two things never really meshed all that much. So you were in military mode or you were in artist mode and you'd go military mode during the week and then kind of hiking, photography, shifting gears, so to speak. Is that what it was like? No, I, I didn't get into this creative um art mode until maybe after because you okay. know a, a camera is a tool sure it, it's a tool like i mean uh, this is kind of hard to explain in, in a brief way but uh, i feel like using the camera was just a fun thing to do and i was good at it because maybe there was something ingrained in me around composition and around seeing light in a different way or a different manner. So when I would use my camera, I would still make these images that people really enjoyed. And that was a little bit of fuel to start pushing me in the right or in this direction. I don't know if it's the right direction, but this is uh, that's how I got here. So becoming an artist, uh, I, okay, so here, this might answer. I became an artist because I couldn't get a job. Like I got out of the military. I got my bachelor's degree in business. I got my master's in organizational leadership and I still couldn't get a freaking job. I used to manage millions of dollars of, of equipment and, and weapons and, and stockpiles and worldwide shipping and logistics. And I get a master's in organizational leadership and nobody would freaking hire me. Wow. So what, what do you Hawaii, think? Sorry, real quick, just on that, because that, that's a that's a real struggle. What do you think attributes that? What like Was there a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a you know, around being a veteran, was that part of the issue? Or was it, is it like interviewing skills? Or was it I don't have a job experience, even though I had military experience that you know, That's what right what do ahead. you think the issue was that the issue? They didn't view it as job experience, even though they don't it clearly view it is as better than any? experience. Okay. Uh, and maybe yeah, I'm not going to agree with them. But there, there is a it's a separate culture, a separate subculture in America. So like HR people would, they would just not see me as having experience, but I had this education, which would require them to pay me for it. And they didn't see me as having the experience. So there was this gap, I guess, or this, uh, this, this point where the, the, the two boxes weren't aligning and, uh, and they would just go for someone else. 
Right. I see. Yeah. And and, and, I mean, there's something to the different kind of experience, right? But I got to say, if I'm looking for, if I'm looking for someone in my company, I sure like the idea of having somebody with, I mean, talk about organizational structure that's beyond what I could comprehend and run for, you know, a public or a civilian company. My goodness. So you can't, you're having trouble finding stuff. Instead, you find yourself jumping back into art in a whole different way. Tell me a little bit about when you make the connection that, holy moly, I'm not a photographer, I'm an artist. I still don't. Or how would you put that? You, I don't want to put hard. words in your it, mouth. It's hard for me because I'm, I'm super, I am very logically driven. Mm. So, so I, I always say I'm, I'm a photographer and an artist. Or, or now in the last year or two, I've been able to say I'm an artist. But it's always been a hard thing for me to talk about because I'm so, I came up like blue collar, right? Where if you weren't sweating, you weren't making money or you weren't doing something worth money. And I think I lost track of your question, but I realized that this could be a real career yeah. or a real income when um, I was just starting my master's. And the only thing that was making me money at the time was selling my work. And I just, I, I just, why don't I just do that? You know, if it's, if it's money is money, it's just sales, right? It's just, I sell a luxury product to, to the right audience. Mm -hmm. And, um, do you remember the first piece that you sold? The first piece that I, I remember the first piece that's important. Okay. Well, actually the first piece I sold was, uh, this photograph of Hanama Bay. Um, it's, it's in the archive on my website. So if you were like good to go to jcmatias.com slash Hanama Sunrise, the piece is sold out. Um, but that was the first piece I sold. And the first piece that was super, super popular, um, it was like all over any Hawaii related things. But the first piece that was really significant for me realizing this was a real career was this piece called Eternity Beach. And it was my first, it's my first real photograph with a DSLR. And, and it's like a four minute photograph that I photographed at like 4 a.m. in Hawaii. And I went and took that picture the day I got my camera, the day I got my first camera. And it was a huge, the thing was, the thing was, I, I told myself that I would, I could justify buying a, a real camera and upgrading to a DSLR as long as I could sell my work to pay for it. So, so anyway, I'm at a, I'm at an art show in, in Hawaii. And I realized that I realized two things that the people who wouldn't pay me for my work, wouldn't pay me if I dropped the work 50%, but the people who would pay me for my work would still buy it. If I doubled the price, come on. So I doubled the price, right? So I was selling this piece for like 800, which was, which was a math, right? I was just, okay, this is two times what it cost me to make it. So I'm, I'm going to sell it for that price. But I was at this convention. And I'm like, you know what? I can't live off making 30% on the sales. Cause as an artist, you just don't sell that much. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'm going to sell this for 1600. Some guy walked by and he was like, I love that picture. Right. Tell me about it. And like halfway through telling him about it, he was like, I'll buy it. And, uh, and then I realized that, that that's, a, that's a fundable career. It's uh, tangible. And, um, and I started looking at, started looking, started using more of that business degree that I had and applying it to being, being an artist. Yeah. I really love the principle you, sorry, the, the principle you pulled out. I really love that. And I think again, that, that applies everywhere is the people who won't buy your work would not buy it if you cut the price. So the, the, the problem isn't the price. The problem is the people and the perspective. You know, mm -hmm. I, I have a theory that we, I teach called the, the jewelry case effect. And you can have this beautiful piece of jewelry, no matter what the worth or value is, as far as what it costs to make and who designed it. 
but the case d tells you what it's worth. And is that jewelry going to be in a Walmart case or in a Tiffany's case and mm -hmm. or a Macy's case? And depending on where you put okay. it, and some people think if I put it in a Walmart case, I'm just going to sell it finally. And those same people aren't going to buy it because now it's too cheap and they weren't going to buy jewelry anyway. And, you know, it's a whole thing. But you price just changed the case. And yeah. you change the case by bumping the price up. So you went up to 800, then you doubled it to 1600, and then mm -hmm. you found your ideal client because you only needed one person to buy the piece of art, right? To make that art, to make that particular art show worth it, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, like like for that one piece, like you don't you don't need to sell because certain pieces. I'm mean, now I don't know how the photography works, but certain pieces you're only selling one time. Is that accurate? Photographers you... generally sell editions, so editions, all okay. of my stuff is limited, like five, ten. Gotcha. Okay. Pieces. Yeah. All right. So, so you might limit it to five or 10, let's say, but either way, you're not looking to sell a hundred or a thousand of these widgets. You're, you're actually selling limited edition, high quality, mm. you know, not much else or nothing else like it kind of idea. Very mm. cool. Tell me how, how, um, as you started getting that, you got that first one sold, the, the one that was important to you and you started selling more, did like, did the gears start changing your mind? Did you like really get yourself, like you said, like using that business degree? And did you get in that mode? Like, did you get sucked down the entrepreneur marketing rabbit hole, I guess is my question. Or did you like, I'm an artist, that's an artist, that's an artist, that's an artist, but you you gave a little bit of your attention to selling. What oh, no, was your I mind give, made I up of? 95% of my attention to marketing and selling. Wow. Yeah, and it, it helps now that as I've, that that's been a gradual increase. Of, okay. As I, as I learned two things, one, people, people will not like this, but uh, it, it popularity over talent or reach over, over how good you are. So, I mean, sorry, it's can, true. So, so it doesn't matter how good I am if nobody's seeing my work. That's right. So I started, you know, understanding that more and more. And on the other side, on the actual art side, I realized that I can't just take pictures, right? Not everything I make is art. You know, I yeah. can go and I can go and take a technically really good photo line up light and get it all good but that doesn't make it art so i started focusing on and and sort of doing a lot of inner work on myself to realize why i create and what it is i think is important um, for me to be to, to put value out and what that is and then only focusing on that so I, I just spent nine days in colorado i think i took like 35 pictures right? and, and i don't think any of them are going to go in my portfolio i just think they're good pictures wow uh, because none of them fit into this idea that I create my work around. So that's my niche, right? That's why that's just like um, Tiffany's only making certain types of jewelry that's at certain quality or, or oh, what's the Rolex only making this type of watch that looks sure. this way, right? Or this shirt by Vince. It's just, they only make this one product with this one, with this one thing, because that's what they want to focus on. That's what they do really well. It's super soft, by the way. Anyway, so uh, that's, Shout out so to that's Vince. the thing. Yeah, right. So that's that's the thing, though. It's just that finding a niche for myself that was also means something to me, that also means something to the people who are buying from me, means I don't need to create all the time, and I shouldn't. I should just be focusing on what I what I'm looking for and what really means something. Put it out there. That's so solid advice, things. man. I, I'm I'm hearing that right now for myself. I'm hearing that because it's so easy to you get asked for something like, let's say someone goes, Hey, can you do this portrait? And you're like, well, I don't really do portraits, but a client wants it and they're going to pay me money and I can do it and I'm good at it. And then all of a sudden now you do portraits and landscape and photography and oils and, and, and you can do them all. How can you kind of reverse engineer and walk me through a little bit, Jason, very, very interested in figuring out what our niche is. 
And for you as an artist to be able to say, this is the kind of art photography I do. This is what I'm best at. Was it this is what I'm best at? Is it this is what I'm passionate about? Is it this is what's marketable? How, how do you define what that photography art niche is? And then what would you give as advice to a young artist or a young entrepreneur to help find that one thing rather than the 20 things that they're mediocre at? Okay, that was a bunch of questions. Sorry, let's, um, let me start with the one. Let's talk about yours. Uh, so, so what's the niche? How'd you figure it out? Thankfully, this thing that I that I do, which I the the way I shoot my landscapes is called I call it comfortable isolation. So I'm always looking for a solitary object or a subject in a in a much broader scene that's all very soft. So that's the style that I really really like, and it fits into the narrative that's always going on in my head. How do you find that style? Is a really good question and really important because a lot of people just don't do this and this is this is this thing i call finding your voice and it's one of the things i i teach in the art of selling art and and this should be a long process so if if you're gonna if you're an artist and you listen to this and you're about to do it take out a notepad this thing should take you several months but what i what i recommend is this sort of way of hacking your inspiration where you start Mm -hmm. by collecting everything you love right i love this image i love this image this image costs me put it all into one big folder and then creating a spreadsheet out of that folder of all the things you love about each image and all the things you don't like about each image. And you should have a column of semi-similar things of all the things that you like about all these inspiration pieces. And at the bottom, you're just gonna create only the stuff in this line and everything in the other column, that stuff you don't like about the image. And it could be the color, it could be the composition, it could be the textures that you feel, it could be the moods, the subjects, whatever, um, in either of those. But everything that's in the column of stuff you don't like, you never do, right? Like if I I am never going to take pictures of just mountains, of landscapes, of, of, of big, I don't, they just don't fit in my, my wallet anymore. They don't, not my wallet, my, um, my aesthetic anymore, right? All right. So, um, so if you just saw this beautiful landscape of just a mountain range with no focal point, you may or may not get a picture of it just because you like it, but that's not It's not going to go art, right? No, it's just a photograph. Yeah. That uh, makes sense. So, so if you do this process and you keep only creating in this vein over weeks and, and whatever, you'll start to come out with the style. But you should also at the same time figure out why you like these things. Because art equals creativity plus context. So without context, it's just a photograph or it's just a decoration. And it's the context that people buy, right? There's studies that have come out that you can go search for on millennial art buyers, because this is a billion dollar, $16 billion market in real life. In in the NFT market, it's, which is still real life, but it's the metaverse, it's growing into billions and billions of dollars too. And what's so, the NFT market? Can you explain that briefly? The non-fungible token market, it's happening on the blockchain. Okay. It's creating um, assets that are that represent value, either in a digital or physical world, and they're tokens, so they're 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 one of ones. Super big, different subject, but it's, it's okay. a huge, exploding market right now. Um, but but the the research shows that millennial buyers are m- buying artwork because of because they like the person who created it. Hmm. So figuring out why you do these things, like if you go to my website and read anything whether it's my super niche portrait collection called Aria or my landscapes, the story is consistent all the way through because the story comes from me. And that story and the stories I share are the reason people buy my work because they can identify it. They see something and they feel it, but then they read it and they understand why they feel that way. And, that's, and then they that's see the a piece of themselves in you or something about you. They, they like you. 
I mean, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day is they, they, they like you, they like your story. They, Mm -hmm. it, it sparks something inside them. They get a feeling like you said about it. Do you think, is the art the lead in to meet you or are you sometimes the lead in to meet your art? If that's depends even a valid funnel. question. It just Which, depends on the funnel, right? Depends like, on the funnel. Like a true marketer, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Well, tell, tell me about when you, the, the art of selling art and, you know, you obviously were getting good at this and figuring out the marketing side of it and the selling piece and, you said you got to the point where you're 95% really focused on the marketing of it. And then in the extra time, you can pretty easily now just do your niche and create your art. What, what's that the- 5% is actually really hard, but yeah. What's that? That 5% is actually really hard. It's oh. really hard for me to create with you. Um, no, I can't imagine. Um, but you know, what, what's the genesis of going, you know what, I think I'm actually gonna teach someone how to do this. Like, like, I'm, like I said, my brain is very analytical or, or logically based. Yeah. And- um, kind of awkward or I used to be pretty awkward and that still comes out a lot. So, so I, when I, when I have a conversation with anyone, it's always, I can't talk about nothing. Like I can't just talk about the weather. I'll just sit there and be quiet. But so when I meet, when I meet artists and we're hanging out and we're talking about how we're doing and whatnot, we always end up talking about business. Sure. And then one time I had a business conversation with someone who wrote an article about me and, um, and I started getting a lot of questions and I just couldn't field them all. Right. And, and I understood that time is, is money and, and what I was giving was value. So I wanted to make sure that I actually had something to give people. So I created a beta group and said, hey, I, I'm here to help. Like, I like helping people. It's part of like one of my archetypes. Right. And uh, let's see if I actually have something to share. So we did this beta group for like three months and I just brain dumped on people and they liked it. And then I turned it into a group, which at first I was just going to charge like $40 for access to a Facebook group where I just talk about selling art sure but that was a stupid idea and um <laughs> <laughs> so so i ended up creating this program called the art of selling art and it's it's basically a case study on everything that i've been doing for the last 10 years as a, as a career artist and, and break it down and share it how i can share it or share it so that other people can take it and use it for themselves there's like there's a big conversation going on around in the NFTs about this one sale in one of the groups I have, but the bottom line is this one person did really well. And because she did well, everyone else can do well. So we all grow together. So if I'm helping everyone, then everyone does and will grow better and, and uh, be able to have a, a business that makes that makes money, whether, whether it's a few hundred dollars a, a year or, or paying for equipment or full-time career like me. It, um, I think it's so important. And you know, man, for, for all the, all the kids out there and I'm talking me and you, you know, we're all kids, but all those kids out there that grew up with a mom or a dad who loved them very much and said, you need to knock off all the drawing because you need to focus on your degree so you can be an accountant. Or I know you love singing dear, but let's be honest, you know, you're not going to get a career out of that. I'm excited to have a guy like you out in the world. I really, really am. Um, Cause you're showing those parents and like parents today, you know, if you're listening, you got a young kid. And I think in 2021, we're, you know, maybe a little more often, if you see uh, a desire or an ability in your kid, I think, and, and I don't have a statistic to back this up, but it seems to me that more parents are leaning towards kind of that openness of, oh, let's find out what my kid is good at and encourage that rather than out of the fear of, 
well, there's only one way to do your future, and it does not include art, music, uh, acting, performance, or any of the above, right? It's really great to have a guy like you out there. Um, so you have this really cool PDF, and it's called The Art of Selling Art. It's 10 tips for getting your, your next art sale. Is this specifically for, again, a particular type of artist, or are these principles things that really anyone who relates to being an artist or a creator would be able to get value from? I think anyone who runs a small business would get value from that, to awesome. be honest. Uh, being an artist is you're, you're an individual small business. And I think if we could just get people to start thinking like that, then it would change the way they approach their work. You know, I hear so many artists say that I can't put a value, I can't put a number on this because it's so important to me. I was like, well, you know, then fine, then put it in the closet and no one's going to see it because you're working on something else. You know, it's just a, it's just a small business guide geared towards artists. I love that. Small business guys. It's the artist selling art. You can get that. I believe you have a, a special page set up just for us uh, over at jasonmatias.com slash driven. And that's M-A-T-I-A-S. So uh, jasonmatias.com slash driven. Um, you grab the art of selling art PDF. That's free. So, I mean, goodness sakes, grab that. Um, also I was just scrolling through as we've been talking, I, I, if I looked distracted, I was looking at your Instagram feed and I mean, you have some amazing, amazing artwork up there and your photos. Again, I, I can see the, the different genres, right. Where, um, the kind of the, the, the different aspect, but to your point, the whole thing has a vibe and has a feel and has a, a, a whole aesthetic that I can just, I can sink my teeth into, man. I can't imagine creating that stuff. Kudos to you. I create something different, I guess. Uh, my wife tells me that I'm, I'm artistic in entrepreneurship, coming up with programs, products, services, ideas, marketing, but, um, I certainly just have so much respect for guys like you that can just see something and make it out of nothing. Um, good on you, dude. Um, last question, any piece of advice you have for, again, someone that's a little newer in the field, maybe they haven't sold any of their stuff yet. They're trying to figure out how to do that, where to do that. You know, I don't like struggling artists. I think if you sold something for a dollar, you're now a working artist, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm in some uh, some acting groups as well. And it's like, you know, are you a working actor or are you a struggling actor? And it's like, let's get rid of the struggling aspect because you're either going to be working or you're not. What advice do you have for the newer artist to really get moving and kind of, <laughs> I guess, follow in your footsteps? Uh, I, I would say to... Learn to love the work, mm. which is um, what I mean by that is, is I hear this a lot where people are just like, I'm not inspired, right? Uh, to do, create something new or, or whatever. And I, I think they're using the word inspired because it, it's a softer parallel than what was really happening is they're not motivated because the, the distance between inspiration and completion is the, the doldrums, right? It's, That's right? it's the Dead Sea where there's nothing there's, there's no hype, just no, work. there's nothing there. It's just work. And if you can figure out how to learn to love the space in between, then you can get stuff done. And that's the important part is getting stuff done. Like everyone wants the sale, but uh, perfect example, NFT market, which we kind of briefly talked about started really kind of took off in February, right? I didn't really get my first sales until two months ago. Okay. So okay. that's months of just constant networking, constant community building until I got someone to pay enough attention to me to buy something, to right. hear my story, right? But all of that time in between, that, that was just business, networking, communication, marketing with no hype. 
and no reward, but it's part of the process. And so if you can love to love the work, right, between designing a project and then completing a project and all the little steps in between, then you can be successful. That's so good, man. Learn to love the work, guys. You hear that? He's right. Jason Momoa, man. I mean, Jason Matias. <laughs> if you could see, if you could see his awesome hair and his strong jawline right now, like I do, you'd just be thinking that all day long. <laughs> oh, God. You're better looking though, man. But Jason Matias tells us, I, I think that's absolutely perfect. Love the work because I'm a big starter and I'm really great yeah. at starting. I'm decent at finishing if the finish lines in sight. But I mean, I ran one marathon in my life and it wasn't anything to brag about, right? I, I, I finished it, but it, <laughs> the, I finished strong, I started strong. But I'll tell you, mile 16 to mile 21 was the part I had to figure out how to fall in love with and I didn't. Um, if you can figure out in your business, in your daily tasking, in your marketing, in your creation, how to fall in love with mile 16, that like that is the secret, isn't it? That is it, man. So I'm looking forward to taking all of your classes and figuring out how to fall in love with the work because that would be great. Um, any, any last thing, man? You, you've been so gracious with us today. Uh, I want to send you on your way with being blessed. Anything else you want to uh, plug? How do we get in contact with you? What's the best way to find out about i mean i know you got art for sale you got you got groups and courses going on plug away my friend you earned it i i think that like all my socials are real jason matias so twitter and instagram those are the important ones today right um and then like you said we'll make the page jasonmatias.com slash driven and that will have all the stuff we talked about so links to the artist selling art pdf that you can download the pieces of art we talked about and we'll, we'll call it the gateway to the rest of of my work um Depending on when this comes out, Art Basel is December, biggest art show in the country, and I'll be there. So that's a great place uh, to meet. Where's that at? And in Miami. Oh, come on. Are you there? No, but sounds great. Oh. Miami in, oh, yeah. Miami it's, in it's December. Let's go. Yeah. Um, We're recording in Grand Rapids, Michigan, man. I'm ready to go anywhere but here in December. I'll send you some tickets, some to the show. And, awesome. And that's no problem at all. Yeah. So jasonmeetsus.com slash driven if you want to know get touch with everything we talked about today. I'll put everything will be there. Outstanding. Jason, thanks for taking the time, man. It was really phenomenal meeting you. And uh, you just keep on cranking, keep inspiring people with art and business. Thanks, man. I enjoyed this. All right. Hey, guys, that's the show this week. Wow. My thanks again to Jason Matias. What a uh, what a good human being, man. What a good dude. Uh, again, you can find all his social at uh, the real, no, not the real, just real Jason Matias. Uh, on Instagram and Twitter, and go to jasonmatias.com slash driven. Of course, you can grab the artist selling art PDF, and you can go check out all of his stuff out there. Uh, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised and certainly inspired. So go do that. You can, of course, find out about this show, all the past archives, and any other show you want to listen to, like our Speaking of Getting Book podcast. It's all up at mattbrawningpodcast.com. If you're listening in the car, remember you can go to anywhere where you get podcasts, search for The Driven Entrepreneur, and you can get almost 300-plus episodes on demand, no paywall, totally free. Be blessed. We have some great, great back episodes that you can dive into if you just found this show on your dial somewhere. Love you. Appreciate you. Get out there this weekend and, well, you know, stay driven. Bye-bye.